KCIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT FM. And welcome. It's such an exciting day. This is Sherry DeNovo, the host of the Radical Reverend Show, and we are live in studio for the first time since the pandemic. How exciting is this? And to kick things off in the grandest of styles, I have Marit Styles here in, uh, in person and live. So your chance will come later in the show to actually ask some questions or be part of this conversation too. And I'll give out the phone number in a little while. Uh, but to begin with, I'm just overjoyed, Marit, that you're in the studio and that we can talk to, I'm going to really just go for it here, the next leader of the Ontario New Democratic <laughs> Party. <laughs> I know the race is still on, but come on. Marit, welcome. Well, thank you so much. I'm knocking on wood madly here, uh, but it is. It's really lovely to be here and in person and live. Um, how special is this? So, yeah, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here today and to talk about all that. So let's talk about you. Uh, a lot of people out there don't know you yet. Mm -hmm. So who are you? What's your background? Because you've had quite an extensive one. You're new, relatively new to, to Queen's Park, but you're, you've been a, a social justice activist for a long time and a party member for a long time. So mm -hmm. tell us about that. Well, you know, I was born and raised in Newfoundland, in, uh, just outside St. John's, in a town called Logie Bay, which is really like a suburb of St. John's, honestly. So I grew up there, and I came to Ontario in the 90s to go to school, to go to university, and I stayed because this is where the jobs were. You know, when I was growing up, uh, and around the time I graduated from high school, the cod fishery was kind of, you know, taking a turn. Uh, there was the moratorium on the fishery, and so a lot of the people in my generation ended up leaving. And Ontario had a lot of opportunity. So when I came here, uh, my first job out of university, actually, I was working for an MPP in the NDP government. I worked for a northern MPP, and I got to know northern Ontario, and I got to see that a lot of the ideals that I had, the values, um, I shared with the NDP. And I had, you know, I had come out of activism, like anti-apartheid work, that kind of thing for my university years and my youth. And um, I started to shift and focus on the very local. And I got very involved in my community, which is the, which at, at continues to be at downtown West End Toronto. Um, even though I have these connections to other parts of the province and other parts of Canada, I, I am, that is the area I represent to this day. And uh, I was very active in my, my riding association, which for folks listening, you know, who don't know is, is kind of like the, the grassroots of any political movement party. Um, and, uh, and I've done everything. I've knocked on doors, I've run campaigns, I've put up signs, I've, uh, uh, a, a million little things and eventually many years later uh, ran to be a school board trustee and that was the beginning of my entree as an actual candidate up until then I, I always worked behind the scenes and was very happy to I have helped elect great people and and I've, I've also lost a lot of elections uh, and I'm I'm looking forward hopefully to winning some more now, you've also got background in the union movement, and also you were president of the NDP. Were you not at one point? Yes, I was. Actually, uh, after I ran to be the school board trustee, I, I, I ran not long after that. We went through the 2015 election uh, federally. It was a disappointment for us as a party, as you can remember. And uh, I wanted to be involved in the debrief and the shift and change that might happen. So I was the president when the last federal leadership race happened that ended up with the election of Jagmeet Singh. So that was quite an experience. Certainly, I'm thinking about that a lot these days. But before that, as you mentioned, I, I worked for ACTRA. I was was for 10 years the director of research and bargaining and eventually policy for the actor which is the actors union uh, actors working in recorded media 
and that was just an extraordinary experience. I love the arts. I love supporting artists. Um, I love supporting creative people. And I learned a lot about negotiating big collective agreements with, you know, motion picture studios and, and things like that. And I lo- learned a lot about how you make change as well um, in terms of regulation and policy at the federal and the provincial level. Yeah. Speaking to Marit Stiles here on uh, the first live broadcast since the pandemic on the Radical Reverend Show. And of course, we are broadcasting live from none other than CIUT mm-hmm. 89.5 FM in its 35th year of existence in the city. The only alternative radio station of any size uh, active now in the Toronto GTA. Mart, one of the uh, reasons that one of your colleagues gave for supporting you in the leadership race, a certain Miss France Jelena, uh, is that, and we agreed on this, is that number one, you're a Torontonian, but number two, you're bilingual you have French as well. Mm -hmm. And you also have this longstanding experience in political field, not just provincial, not just Queen's Park. Uh, speak about the necessity for the bilingual part of that. You know, I uh, I, I would say I'm probably fluent, um, but I, I grew up, I, I had the privilege of being part of the French immersion program as it was just getting going in Newfoundland um, in the 80s. And uh, and it was not easy to learn French in Newfoundland. There weren't a lot of people on my side of the island anyways that spoke French. But I've worked really hard to try to keep it up. Um, and, you know, I work on it regularly. I do lessons. I think it's extremely important, especially in Ontario. And I'll tell you, it's because in Ontario, the Francophone community is a minority but a very important part of so many communities um, historically and to this day, a growing segment of the population also I would add, and a, and, a, and a part of the population that has been neglected and seen their rights, frankly, trodden on by this government, uh, by the Ford government. I think it was really clear to all of us uh, how little value um, Doug Ford and his government put on francophones when they immediately upon coming into office did away with the office uh, for Francophone Affairs, and um, and you've seen them just continue to lump Francophone Affairs in with other things all the time. It, this is a, a community that deserves our respect, that has special standing, actually, within our province and in our country. And so many communities, you know, in the North in particular, um, our Francophone communities, Franco-Ontarians uh, struggle to have uh, access to education and other services in their own language. So I think it sends a very important message as well to work hard on being a fluent, being fluent in French. And uh, so I try to do as many um, interviews and practice as much as I can. I think it's crucial. Speaking, uh, uh, as you probably know, if you've tuned in, if you're just tuning in to Marit Stiles, the, uh, as I'm introducing her, the future leader of the Ontario <laughs> New Democratic Party, that won't be decided until next year. But, you know, the, the clock is ticking on those who want to run and there's not many weeks left to register. Your experience at Queen's Park, you've, you've been here for a term and a bit. How is that different, similar to your experience as a trustee? Uh, you've worked in all the circles now, it, federal, provincial, education. What's the difference at Queen's Park? What did you notice when you came in here, say versus the Hill in Mm. Ottawa? Well, I'm, first of all, I would say, I mean, go back even further to my first experience in government, working as a very junior person in a government back in the early, in the early mid nineties. And the tradition of how we would work together across party lines, you know, of actually getting things done. And I look at you, Sherry, and I know you've done this, this hard work to move important legislation forward. It, it required you and others to work across those party lines to gain some consensus. Um, when, you're, when you have a majority government or you, in an electoral system like ours, they hold all the power. And so there has been a tradition of having opposition uh, run committees, um, of, of lots of opportunities to work together. And that has just been... Um, weakened uh, by respective governments uh, of all political stripes, I would say. And I really noticed that here at Queen's Park. I think the same thing has happened in Ottawa as well. But here I really feel it. And even in the term of the last four or five years with the Ford government, we've seen them again, you know, chuck some of these traditions out the window. Uh, committees don't travel. And that seems like a very simple thing. Like why? Well, also, it's, you know, it's a cost savings. They don't travel anymore. But the, the impact of that is that um, MPPs of different political stripes don't get a chance to 
to meet and talk about issues outside of the the format of the chamber of the of the legislature where it's it's a very formal debate um, and it's very confrontational we don't have a chance to do that and we also don't have a chance to actually go around this province and listen to what other people think um, and it doesn't force the government members to listen to what other people think either so I think it, we've really lost something and at, you know as a school board trustee I would say obviously that's a very different kind of position but you are kind of like municipal politics you are forced to work together even if you may have some political differences you are forced to kind of to talk about the issues and to try to come to some agreement around things and move to in order to move um, policy forward so I think that's something that we're really lacking and I guess I would say there's ways to do it better, but ultimately, probably the solution is actual electoral reform, ultimately. Speaking to Marit Stiles, future ONDP leader here at uh, CIUT on our first live broadcast since the pandemic for the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, it's interesting that you compare our day, basically my day, and again, left politics in uh, 2017, retired mm -hmm. from them and went back to my former job. But yeah, I mean, that's very, very different. I mean, we had, first of all, we had lobby days, probably two or three nights of the week, which whoever was was hosting the lobby day really was an opportunity for all the MPPs to get together, to have a glass of wine, to chat, uh, to discuss what happened during that day. And committees did travel and we did work together. I remember very well a committee that was chaired by Christine Elliott, a former deputy leader of the Conservative Party on uh, basically on disability rights. And we came up as a committee, we traveled all over Ontario, came up with 23 recommendations. The Liberal government put in one or two of them. It's now gathering dust on the shelf. And of course, the current, sadly, it must be um, for some, the current Ford government's done nothing in that regard and has not looked at that, even though it was chaired by one of theirs. But again, you're working, you're traveling, you're spending time with, that's a chance to negotiate too. And, and it's very, very, very different atmosphere when you don't have that because people watching CPAC or whatever they're watching, they just see the confrontation. They don't understand that you're in a small town, really, of all these members, and that you spend a lot of time together and that you just can't keep up that kind of rancor inevitably. So um, hopefully, I mean, COVID, of course, hurt that a lot. But, but now that we're post-COVID, you don't think it's going to come back at Queen's Park? You know, it's been interesting over the last few months, and, and you really have to dig into the media to probably find any mention of this, right? Because it's, 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 it's in the weeds, as we say. But there, are, there have been more examples of the Ford government doing away with, I would say, again, like the traditions of provincial parliament. So things like having opposition chair certain committees and opposition being able to pick who they want to chair certain committees or who they want to put forward as a deputy speaker. These are these are traditions. And as we're learning, they really are just that. There's no nothing written. There's no rule that says it has to be that way. And so they're throwing everything out the window. And the problem with that, again, is that, you know, there's just no attempt to work together on anything. It's very disappointing. I hope that it will change. I mean, certainly I see members on all sides who want to do that, who want to work together. Um, we share, you know, some, we, we, we obviously differ in many ways in terms of our, our political values, uh, but we also, we do find some shared areas of concern and we all want to serve our communities. I think that is true. So I do hope we can, we can move that forward and we can see some change there, but um, it, it's, it has gotten worse and not better, I would say. And yeah, absolutely. I think COVID in you know, so many respects made life difficult for lots of people. Um, but one of the things it did do was it, it eliminated those opportunities to come together. So you know, what does it take? It really takes leadership saying, you know what, this matters. It matters that we work together. It matters that we listen to each other. We, are, we must be forced to listen to each other. And you know, uh, just when I go door to door now, or I'm talking to people in communities across the province, and certainly in the last election, we saw the impact of, I think, this kind of divisive politics in voter turnout. I really believe people feel um, taken for granted, that's for sure, but they also are tired of this kind of, as you said, the rancor 
Uh, I have a lot of people who say to me at the door, I don't know how you put up with it. I don't know how you do it. And I say, look, I, I'm, I'm good for a fight. You know, I am. I'm short. I'm like five foot one and a half inches. <laughs> but I can stand up to the bullies. I have no problem doing that. But I, I really do not think it's, it's always the best way to go about these things. I'd much rather sit down and negotiate and actually come up with some solutions together uh, when we're in a situation like this. Yeah. Speaking to Marit Stiles here, who is part of the official opposition now at Queen's Park. And of course, we have a, a huge majority conservative government now under Doug Ford. I want to talk about some of the areas uh, that people would be interested in listening to this. Right off the bat, healthcare, probably number one coming out of the pandemic. Uh, we, some of us may know about this Bill 124 and its impact, you know, 1% raised cap on our healthcare workers. And that's shocking considering what they've been through risking their lives, et cetera, during the pandemic. And uh, what is there any movement there? What's, what's happening in healthcare? We see, we hear the news all the time, huge ER waits, et cetera, et cetera. Sylvia Jones, who I did work with back in the day, uh, she's not a stupid woman. Um, she's very bright. What's going on there? Well, I would say, I mean, and based on the people that I'm talking to who really are the experts on the front line, this is a staffing crisis, right? This is about people. It's about human resources. So when we see, whether we're seeing it now in emergency room closures or uh, the lack of family doctors or nurse practitioners, um, the crisis in long-term care and home care, it's it really is a human resource issue. We do not have the people to do these jobs. And why do we not have the people to do these jobs? And why are we losing them so quickly? And why can't we fill those roles? I mean, it, it, some of it is complicated, but some of it is pretty simple. It's respect and it's pay. If you are feeling, you're in a situation like so many healthcare workers have been in our province for years, um, and then you, then, you, then you experience COVID and the enormous stress and trauma on so many of, of those workers, and you hear a government say, well, you know, our, our frontline angels, our frontline heroes. But at the same time, they're holding your wages at a 1% increase. When you're seeing the cost of living go up 10%, 11%, like, how do you survive on that? I, I like to, I've spoken to many healthcare workers who are working two, three jobs just to be able to put food on the table for their families. And they're looking at the healthcare sector and saying, why am I bothering? And so I think it's, uh, it is a crisis, and it is partly a crisis of this government's making. And so what they, I'm hearing is they're not budging. We've certainly given them many opportunities and called on them to uh, revoke, repeal Bill 124. Uh, I think we're going to see the safe crisis emerge, and it is emerging in education. And um, so I hope that we see some movement, but i got to tell you, I'm not feeling very hopeful right now. I, I think they are refusing to, to address this fundamental issue, uh, throwing more money at you know building beds if you can't staff them is is totally useless. Talking about healthcare with Mart Styles here, uh, one of the aims of this government seems to be privatization, uh, increased privatization in the healthcare section. Uh, I certainly hear from people on social media about all of a sudden having to pay for tests that they didn't have to pay for before. Uh, pharmace uh, pharmaceuticals going up in price, for example, but the use of nursing agencies sending nurses into hospitals where the, the nurses working for the temporary agencies are making more than the full-time staff at the hospitals. Uh, this, this seems to me to be an effort, and there seems to be some thought behind this. Uh, so the privatization agenda, which we've seen ramp up during COVID from clinics opening up. I remember walking into the Eaton Center and seeing a vaccination clinic right on the, right as you walked into the Eaton Center, charging completely privately run. I, I mean, Tommy Douglas is rolling over in his grave about mm. this, the father of Medicare, most popular Canadian, according to some in a CBC poll some years back. What about that? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, we, we've seen this before. We've seen them be quite explicit about it uh, on the right. Um, you build a crisis, and the solution becomes privatization. 
a magical thing. <laughs> but, you know, this is what's happened. They have built a crisis. It didn't happen overnight. It happened under the liberals, too. And and now the solutions, the easy, quote unquote, solutions are to throw money at private companies to to solve the problem. And what that means is, in the end, first of all, it will cost us more, not just because they're going to pay they're going to pay those people more, but it, they're paying more on top of that for the administration um, into those private companies and into their shareholders. That's where the public dollars are going to go. And we know, based on what we've seen all over the world, that this does not end well. Uh, this is not a solution. This is going to cost us more in the end. And I think um, it's going to deliver less adequate care, certainly. Um, and we saw, it in, we saw it certainly in long-term care and home care previously in this province. And we saw the results of that very tragically during COVID when, you know, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, people in our own party, in the NDP, in my party, um, and in, in the health coalition and others saying, you know, there's going to be a crisis and we won't be able to keep up. And we already were struggling to care for vulnerable seniors and others in long-term care. And then COVID hits and people die. And we still haven't seen an investment or a shift toward not-for-profit care. And the results are so glaringly clear. It is, I think, one of the great disappointments coming out of COVID is that this government doesn't seem to have learned that lesson and that they're shifting into high gear to privatize other areas of healthcare. Speaking to Mart Stiles here uh, at, on my first live show after the pandemic, and of course we're talking about healthcare. What else do we talk about in Ontario? Uh, and and if, by the way, out there in listener land, uh, this is the 35th anniversary of the CI, of CIUT. And by the way, fundraising is coming up. So just giving you the heads up about that. That's going to be happening, and uh, we really want you to contribute because we want to keep alternative radio like this on the air. I would say to people, if you're listening from the GTA, and we of course broadcast from Buffalo to Barrie to Kitchener to Coburg. You will know privatization if you live around the Young and Eglinton area. It's called Metrolinx. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe just talk about that for a few minutes before we can get into your area of specialty, and that's education. Talk about that, Ms. Stiles. What a mess. Well, I'll tell you, um, I've experienced Metrolinx on so many levels. I can't even begin. But Boy, uh, yeah, I mean, the Eglinton Crosstown, obviously, um, way behind schedule, costing way more than they ever, you know, claimed they would. So, uh, you know, in the end, expansion of transit, good thing. You know, in my own community and right through your own neighborhood as well, we've got these these trains coming through now at increasing regularity. Um, we like to see trains. We like to see trains. Um, but the way that Metrolinx has managed... Um, all of these projects is they just is is you know basically fake con in my mind fake consultation and people are really fed up with it. Um, they feel like especially um, communities that literally are railroaded <laughs> by Metrolinx to get what they need to get out of it are not being served well. Uh, so we all know we got to move more people in and out on transit on trains. Um, I would like to see electrification. I know Metrolinx gets their orders only from above. Uh, and I think the the increasing and creeping privatization of uh, which we see very clearly um, in Metrolinx uh, has has really resulted in the people who are the least able to defend themselves being the ones who have to suffer the biggest and most negative impact. And I see that in on Eglinton, where the small businesses, you know, I, I they really have suffered. It's the ones that, you know, the little the little Filipino grocery store in my in my neighborhood or my community that that doesn't that gets completely shut out, that loses their business. Uh, but wealthier people are getting, you know, special accommodation. And I think that is very clear and very apparent in the work that Metrolinx has done or the, their lack of you know, care and um, attention to communities. Let's get to your area of specialization. You were a school trustee. Kids are back in school. Uh, we're already seeing issues in the classrooms. And we are on the eve right now uh, of a strike. Let's talk about education that is first and foremost in a lot of families' minds right now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a really difficult time. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a parent. My, both of my daughters are now in university uh, as of this year. Uh, but we were there through it in post-secondary and at other levels in high school during uh, COVID. I don't know a family with kids in the system who haven't been struggling uh, to get mental health support, to get educational support is a really real issue. And then think about all those education workers, the teachers, the educational assistants, the ECEs who have been struggling for the last few years uh, with online education and then hybrid learning. And, uh, and now they're back in classrooms and everybody's sick. You know, and it's brutal. I, I meet people all the time who, again, are feeling like disrespected. And, and what's happening uh, in terms of these potential work actions that are coming is the government is in negotiations at this time, you know, in, a, in the contract with first the educational workers, so represented by CUPE. And those are folks like educational assistants and custodians and early childhood educators. And frankly, their average rate, uh, wage is around $39,000 and less. These are the education workers we're talking about right now. They're in bargaining with the government, uh, but the government has not been coming to the table regularly. Uh, in fact, the way they've been approaching it, as you've seen, is they are making threats. Uh, Stephen Lecce, the minister, has been making threats for months and months. He's saying, look, you know, we will not put up with disruption, and if we have to, we'll, we'll legislate them back to work. Um, that's not how you negotiate uh, a collective agreement. It's going to result, and I've said often, if there is a disruption in learning this year, it's going to be on this government's shoulders. It's going to be on them. They were the ones who ramped it up from day one with threats. That's not how you get a deal, and it's not how you ensure that kids stay in school. Speaking to Marit Stiles here on the Radical Reverend Show on our first live show since the pandemic. So exciting. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that I tweeted about that got a lot of response was there's this discrepancy from the rhetoric coming out of the government, uh, Lecce and Ford himself, regarding the QP workers. And remember, most of these people are women. Yes. They're women, and Lecce and Ford, obviously male, using these threatening terms uh, that just rings. And the same thing can be said for healthcare, in fact, you know, with, with nursing staff, mainly women. Again, threatening terms for a mainly female population, many of whom are barely getting by. They're barely above the poverty line. You know, today, uh, Lecce saying, you know, they're asking for 50% more of, of their salary. This was his, uh, his, his statement. What, there, there's definitely a gender dynamic here. Marit. Oh, yeah. And I, mean, I think thanks for raising that. I mean, that is one commonality here, right? When we're talking about healthcare workers and education workers, predominantly women. And so there's a gendered element here. Absolutely. And many of the educational assistants, I'm going to use them as an example, because they they make again, you know, $39,000 and less. Th these are people for anybody listening who hasn't had somebody in school lately. I can tell you, these are the folks who are helping our kids with special needs. So if your kid needs a little extra support in the classroom, uh, those are the folks that are going to be working with them. And that is absolutely a crucial and critical role right now. And so, you know, if you, I was talking to some, some teachers the other day and they said, I said, you know, how many more EAs do you think you need? And they said, if they tripled them, we wouldn't have enough. So not only are they doing extremely important work, but they are overworked, right? They are stretched so thin. Uh, teachers could use more of that support too. Kids definitely need it. Families need it. And yet those workers are the ones making the least in our educational system. And they're not making enough today to be able to afford rent, to be able to afford to put food on the table. Most of them are juggling more than one job. And so they're not, you know, I, when I talk to educational assistants, they do it because they love the work and it's meaningful and important work. And I think the government is just once again relying on the fact that they can squeeze people, particularly um, women, and I'll say as well, a lot of these, a lot of the uh, educational workers are racialized uh, workers. There's no coincidence that these are the folks that this government is trying to squeeze the hardest. Um, and I, you know, you contrast that with who's making money right now. 
in this world and in under this government. And again, as we said, it's going to private companies. It's going, in this case, in education. Um, they're trying to siphon money out of the public education system and into uh, private tutoring companies. I mean, that's another big thing that's happening right now. Um, and in doing so, you know, they're going to, these workers are kind of desperate, right? We're all desperate. We're in a, having a difficult time. Yeah. So, so who can blame them for wanting to been saying and it's so exciting and we've got Marit Stiles here a future leader of the Ontario New Democratic Party you heard it here first we're going to just do a bit of a station ID here and then we're going to come back and turn it over to you out there in listener land a little bit and hear what you're thinking because it's not every day you get a chance to speak to the leader of the future leader of the official opposition at Queen's Park so uh, it's over to you out there and uh, and write this phone number down 416-946-7000 and I should say uh, that no nastiness, no nastiness will be tolerated. So uh, serious questions only, please. Uh, back in a flash. FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. So exciting to be back on the Radical Reverend Show and live. And of course, exciting to be here with the future leader of the Ontario New Democrats and the official opposition at Queen's Park, Marit Stiles. And of course, now we're going to throw it over to you a little bit. Uh, and any questions, we'd love to entertain them. But just be, just to finish off the education piece mm. that we were speaking about, you have been the education critic par excellence at uh, Queen's Park. So thank you for that. Privatization, again, seems to be the order of the day. You mentioned the tutoring companies, but, but also people with means who have children with special needs are going to be taking their kids out of the public system. And again, that hurts everyone, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it is so uh, dispiriting to like see what this government's doing. So they've pulled. They are now giving. Uh, I think it's three hundred and sixty million to parents. You know, at a time when people are really desperate and can use the extra money. Frankly, uh, they're giving them this money ostensibly to help them with tutoring to get extra support for their kids. But you know, let's not forget that's that's almost four hundred million out of public education, out of our schools. That is money that we could be spending to provide more educational assistance in classrooms, you know, to, to create smaller class sizes, uh, lots of things that would benefit more kids. And I, I have to say, I really do think that um, most parents get that. Um, I've had a huge response when we've spoken out against this. So I, I really do think this government is, is making a miscalculation here, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt our public education system. And it's absolutely, it's about putting money into the hands of private companies again, instead of into public education. We have a caller who has a question. Can you put that on, Mr. Stower? Hi. Oh, it's David. Hi, David. Yeah, hi. Uh, I love your show, Sharon, as always. 
Thank you. Um, and hi, Merrick. Uh, this is David Kronsolver. Hey, David. Um, hey, I voted for uh, uh, Alejandro Bravo and uh, Gil Penalosa. The trustee, I wasn't sure, so I kind of wing, winged it. But, but um, I think that we need to create more housing geared to income. People can't afford a, a house, let alone a room. And, and then the other thing is I think we need to also create more uh, bike infrastructure so, so no more cyclists and, and, and pedestrians get killed. But what, can, what is the NDP going to be doing uh, around uh, uh, those issues? I mean, I, I mean I'm, it's very important not to privatize. I don't think anything should be privatized. Everything should remain public. But what I'd like to know is what is the NDP going to do around uh, the housing uh, crisis, because it is a crisis, as well as uh, uh, creating more bike infrastructure and trying to hopefully limit more cars on the road and, and try to get people more on to transit and, 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 and bikes and stuff like that. Thanks so much, David. Mart. Well, um, first of all, David, let me tell you, if you're, I have to say this, if you're in Davenport or Spadina, Fort York, vote for Alexis Dawson for school board trustee. She's fantastic, and she's going to do a lot to shake things up. I'm really excited about it. But, yeah, really good question, David. And I, I would say, first, just on housing, um, which is a crisis. It's been a crisis in our city for, for so long, but it is a crisis across this province. I was in North Bay just a couple weeks ago. Folks in North Bay cannot afford to rent. I mean, it is astonishing. Um, so we, we have a, a crisis in this province, and the answer that, that Doug Ford has is essentially build lots more expensive condos. And what we're saying is that ain't good enough. Uh, we can't, if we just let developers uh, run roughshod and build whatever they want to at whatever pace they want to, we are going to end up only with expensive condos or expensive rental. What we need is truly affordable housing. We need more supportive housing. We need uh, more uh, rent geared to income housing. And this is where government has a role to play. I actually believe government needs to be more involved uh, rather than less involved in, in the building of housing um, and so, you know, we need to move toward exclusionary zoning, et cetera. And I know you know all this, David. I know folks I'm listening uh, know a lot of this, too. But I also want to see municipalities funded uh, much better to be able to provide that bike infrastructure. Again, not, a, not just an issue in, in a big city like Toronto or in Hamilton or in Ottawa, but increasingly an issue across this province and when we have to deal with. And I'd encourage everybody to look at the work that my colleague Jessica Bell is doing, the MPP for uh, University of Rosedale. She's our housing critic. She used to be our transit critic. She's extraordinary. Thanks, Marit. Uh, I think we have another uh, question as well. But while we're waiting for that, uh, David also mentioned cycling infrastructure and made me think about this, you know, major mayor move oh. of, of Queen's Park. People don't quite understand what that means. Maybe just talk about that because we are in the midst of a municipal election mm. here. And, you know, it, it it's actually goes back to the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about how do you make government work better, Right. One of the good things about municipal government is that mayors don't have absolute power. In fact, instead, they can uh, instead they have to work with city councilors to to come up with a majority to pass legislate or pass policy, and and what he's doing is giving them big power uh, along the lines of what American mayors have in many jurisdictions, and and it, it's going to allow mayors like. John Tory in this case, if he's reelected, uh, to to basically do what he wants. And I mean, it's supposed to be in relation to government priorities. So I guess Doug Ford, again, gets to decide what matters and the, is the only one. Uh, it's really concerning. I'm glad to see so many big mayors speak out against it. John Tory has not spoken out against it. And that's really concerning. Uh, I think we should all be concerned about that, you know, because that's not how, uh, that's one of the great things about our municipal uh, governance right now is that we actually do have an opportunity for your city councillor to have a say. And this is going to limit the effectiveness, I, I would argue, of municipal councillors, but a really good reason why we're going to need really effective municipal councillors. We've got a question right now. Sorry, who is it, Ken? And. Okay. Anne's. 
And welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, the joy of live radio. Do you have a question for Mart? Yes, uh, it's Hans Marbley. Oh, Hans. Sorry. Oh, hi, Hans. How are you? Oh, okay, Sherry. Good <laughs> to hear you back on live radio. It's like old home week here. And yeah. Merit, I am so impressed with your ability, and uh, that dates back to 2013, when you had to handle in Edmonton the surprising result of upsetting the leadership uh, of the of the party, and you stepped in in a in a in a very competent, uh, relaxed, um, or shall we say, controlled fashion. Um, so I have uh, only to second uh, Sherry's opinion that you will be the next leader of the Ontario Party. Now, the elephant in the room question is. With your abilities in the caucus leading up to an election that everybody was hoping we would finally get to government, why is it that we ended up running a three-time losing leader who I voted for at the time at the Hamilton Convention mm-hmm. um, in 2010? Why did your talents not emerge earlier? Uh, and I submit that would have changed the political outcome of the last election. Well, well, first of all, thank you, Hans. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your comments. And I do want to remind people, though, despite your lovely comments and, and assurances about me winning in the, uh, the leadership and, and Sherry's, I have to encourage people, um, please sign up. Uh, the way to do this is going to be to sign memberships with the NDP. Uh, we really need to sign up lots and lots of people. So I invite you, please be part of that. You know, um, Join the NDP. You'll get to vote. Join before before December if you can. Join soon. Um, and join the movement. Go to my website. It's, uh, it's really important that we build this movement together. Uh, I really believe it's crucial. Um, and, and, you know, on your question, question about the leadership, I would say, look, um, in the last, you know, years that, that Andrea has been, uh, was our leader, Andrea Horvath, you know, I, 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 we owe her a lot, you know, we built this party, uh, it was, it's a more diverse caucus than we've ever had before. We made some very significant gains over her tenure. Um, and, you know, I know that she's running for mayor now in Hamilton, and I think she'll be a great service to that community. I really do. Uh, she also led us to an official opposition sta- uh, status. So that's really important. And what I want to do now, and I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm as disappointed as anyone else that we didn't form government. What I want to do now is, is use the next three and a half years to push back Doug Ford, to push them back on their heels, to prevent them from making any more disastrous decisions for this province. But I really want to build a stronger, uh, more diverse, um, bigger movement uh, than we've had ever before. So we can defeat these guys in four years. Because 2026, I want to not just, you know, form an opposition party again. I want us to form government. And I believe we can. I really do. I think the opportunity is there and that we need to do it. I've been a member of the NDP for many years. And I am... Uh, I know we have, we know what needs to be done. We have the bold ideas and the policy. We just need to, uh, to get there, right, so that we can actually make it happen. Thanks, Hans. Uh, thanks. Uh, we have yet another uh, question here. Go for it. Who am I speaking to? Uh, this, is, this is Riley. Hi, Riley. And I've heard a lot about in critiques of this government kind of what we're doing wrong in Toronto and as a new Torontonian I'm just mostly interested in what would your image of like an ideal Toronto in the future if you could shape it be like mm. wow what a that's a great question Riley thank you um, you know that's a really good question I, I was just talking before this we were talking about the lake you know I mean I just want to start with like a simple thing the lake there are parts of this city where you can see the lake and many parts of the city where you can't see the lake because there's a big uh, highway going through it. I mean, this is what happens when we do bad planning. And uh, we need to build uh, a lot more density in this city, right? We need to build a lot of housing that's truly affordable. That's so important. Why? Because I want us to have a diverse, thriving city. I don't want us to be a city where people, um, where the downtown becomes just... Uh, 
depleted of if community, right? I want families to be able to afford to live here. Um, I want people um, across the city to have clean air, and I want them to be able to swim in the lake. I mean, it's sort of a funny thing. We joke about it here, but you know, I grew up in Newfoundland. I did not swim in the Atlantic Ocean very often, I will say. Uh, it was pretty cold. Uh, I do when I go back try to, but I would like, I want to swim in Lake Ontario. I want to swim there in the summer. I want to swim there as long as I can. And I, and that means that we need to protect our city and our, and our air and our water and our environment. These are simple things that seem like a, a given, but that to me would be an, a huge accomplishment that we could continue that our, my, my kids and their kids will be able to continue to swim in that lake. Um, and, and, and live here. You know, it shouldn't be the case that families that built their little houses here in working class neighborhoods um, now cannot imagine their children or grandchildren ever being able to afford to live in this city. So we need to make keep life affordable, build a lot more uh, housing and and build, you know, good, clean transit uh, so people can get around better. Speaking here to Marit Stiles, and she's speaking to you, uh, future leader of the Ontario New Democratic Party on the Radical Reverend Show, so very live today for the first time since the pandemic, and that's really exciting here at CIUT 89.5 FM. Marit, um, I don't want to let you go without talking some broader strokes, and that is we have seen in this country and in this province, clearly in the last election, provincially, the rise of the right wing. The rise to, uh, if we look at Poiliev federally, of uh, right-wing populism similar to what's happening around the world, uh, particularly south of the border. That is very concerning for a lot of progressives, not necessarily in only NDPers, Greens, Liberals, you name it, socialists, right across the spectrum of progressives. People are very concerned about that. How do we counter right-wing populism with, hey, dare we say it, a kind of left-wing populism? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I, I think we've, we've seen, and it's really, it is really concerning, uh, uh, politics in this province, in this country, and other countries of division and hate. And it has really set in. And as we were just talking about, I think it's also had the impact of driving a lot of people to not want to vote, to want not, not want to participate. And you know, I hear it all the time. I, I saw a report the other day on, on how girls are now starting to say that they don't want to move into leadership positions again in any aspect of life. And why is that? Because when girls see um, themselves reflected in, in leadership, uh, women in leadership, uh, those people are being targeted by a lot of hate. It's pretty rough. And so... You know, we, we really have to solve this problem for so many reasons. I really believe that anger is only going to get you so far and that what we need to do is make sure that um, people out there, regular people, um, are inspired by ideas that connect with them from a different side of, of politics and the political spectrum. And so I think that means that, it, to me, it means that the NDP, you know, takes charge of those bold ideas. Um, we have great, great ideas. I mean, I don't think we, we lack ideas, <laughs> but what we lack is the um, effectiveness in communicating those and connecting with people. And that involves listening, you know, and that's also a scary thing sometimes, right? To open yourself up, to listen to what people feel and what's, what's connecting with them and their fears. So, I mean, I think that a leadership race like this is an opportunity to do that, right? It's an opportunity to bring more people in with new ideas, with exciting um, opportunities, and to listen to what is is connect what to what people who may have a slightly different perspective than us um, are looking for. We have to find a way to connect, and we have to build some excitement around it. And leadership races like this are one way to do that. Speaking to Marit Stiles here, and by the way, we have time for a question or two. Uh, 416-946-7000 is the call-in number if you have a question or a comment uh, for Marit Stiles, again, the future leader of the opposition at Queen's Park. And the one who's going to be holding um, Mr. Ford's feet to the fire, we hope, in future. So that's, that's going on, too. Um, one of the problems that we often hear, and I certainly hear this on social media, is that is economic. 
you know, it's all about the economy usually comes back to that. The average Canadian salary is around 50000 something, and that average salary will not pay for you to live in, in a big city and certainly will not afford a house <laughs> or in a condo one day. So uh, so how do we address that real concern, which, which is in part fueling that right wing, is that they feel that nobody's listening to them, that the elites aren't listening to them, uh, that big companies, I mean, we just, you know, one of the good things that I... I saw coming out of the press from Ottawa was this stat, 123 companies, you know, got away with not paying $30 billion in taxes. You and I pay our taxes, they don't. So the average person sees this and thinks, who's looking after me? Mm-hmm. Maybe address that. You know, I mean, we talked about the public sector salaries and the freeze that they're under, and that's a lot of people. In the private sector, unionized workplaces are seeing their wages go up, right? They're negotiating, in some cases, you know, much more significant salary increases. And that's great. That's the role of unions. That's why I support unionization. um, And I think more people should have the privilege of having those rights. Um, I think it is also very true, kind of going back to your previous question as well, that a lot of people feel like they've been taken for granted, right? Like I look at it every day and I think we have become this place where we think that uh, waiting for eight hours in an emergency room is normal. How is that normal? Uh, or having kids, 40 kids in a classroom, that that's, that's kind of acceptable. That's not normal. But that, along with the fact that big companies and rich people will just keep getting richer and richer and richer, is something we've been kind of told over and over and over again is, is normal. It's the way it has to be. And I feel like a lot of people have given up a bit. And I think one of the things that we have to do in, on the political side or in the movement side is we have to remind people that there are, these are not things that we can't overcome, that there are options. It sometimes seems so big. Like when I think of climate action, it's like it's so enormous or the, the cost of living and how that's increased. These seem like just un, insurmountable problems, but they're not. Right? Other jurisdictions have put in place, you know, regulation. They've cracked down on companies who make profit off of, you know, people's poverty, right? They've they've found ways to get around this. They've succeeded in increasing people's wages to a point where they can actually afford to live in their communities. They've reduced the cost of housing. They've controlled these things. They've built more affordable housing. Um, these are achievable. We can do it. Uh, and I think it's part of the job of us in the NDP is going to be to remind people of that and to get people believing again in the potential that we have to change things, that it's not insurmountable. Uh, speaking to Mart Stiles here, just to, in our final moments, and, uh, and Mart, when you, and we've talked about housing, but sometimes reminding people of, of our history. I grew up in Toronto and you know, was on social assistance as a teenager, was a street kid. And back in the day, on social assistance, you could rent a room, buy books, you could, I put myself through school on social assistance. And it was livable, you could live on it. Now you are homeless if you're on social assistance, if you even if you have a disability, and are on social assistance, you can barely pay your rent, if you uh, can even do that. Uh, And that was under conservative governments, federally, provincially, and municipally, I often remind conservatives of this, that you used to pay that. And it's good to remind everyone of that, that that used to be the case in yeah, this province. Well, it used to be like, this is why people like me came here from Newfoundland. I grew up in co- communities with, you know, pretty extreme poverty. You you came to Ontario because there were jobs. You could, you could imagine raising a family on a working class salary, right? Uh, a working class income. And you could live in, in lots of communities, including Toronto, uh, on that. And I think what we've seen under this government and other governments over the last umpteen years is really legislative poverty, right? Legislative poverty. ODSP, disability supports, are not enough to live on. You cannot live on that. Uh, Social assistance is not enough to live on. Uh, We need to change this up. We had a uh, basic income pilot project that that was in place. This government came in and canceled that. I mean, my goodness. Why wouldn't we want to see if there's a better way? I think there's uh, lots of opportunity here. And by the way, also, you know, not giving up on the fact that we could create 
lots of good jobs, right? Lots of good green jobs. Um, we have to get ahead of this. This government has reversed um, all of the achievements that have ever been made on trying to curb, uh, to address climate change, to make life more affordable. But yeah, absolutely. Like it should not be the case and it does not need to be the case that you need to be only a very wealthy person to live in this city. It wouldn't be the radical reverend show if we didn't live, uh, leave on a bit of a, you know, more sort of spiritual note, if I may. But one of the things I've noticed on social media and, uh, and out there and contributes to this rise of the right is this, this fear. It's fear. It's like if we do, if we had a guaranteed livable income, which thank you, Leah Gazan, federally is a, one of our bills put forward. Um, if we had affordable housing, if this would all cost us and we can barely get by ourselves, whoever we are on our salaries now, we can barely pay our rent or our mortgage. And all of a sudden, all these tax dollars will be flowing to the poor. And, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm not my brother or sister's keeper. Uh, it's I need to look after number one here. And that has been fueled, of course, by the uh, the ideology of the right. What do you say to, you know, that's all about me? Well, I say look at how what you how you were raised. Now, I mean, some people will will have different experiences. We've all had different experiences. But I like to think that if um, if when I have a rough time, somebody's going to help lift me up, you know, that if I fall down, somebody's going to walk by and give me a hand and lift me up. And to me, that's what government is all about, right? That's why we come together. That's why we have for, you know, generations um, come together. We contribute as a society to have those supports there when we need them. And we will all need them at some point, but we do it because we care about each other. And I really think that is like, that's what makes us, that's what makes us human. So I ask people to think about that. Do you want, you know, somebody to be able to lift you up when things get rough? And um, do you want your parent or your, your daughter or your son to have that, have somebody help them up? Yes, we all do. Um, so I think just have to kind of reflect on what makes us a better person. And I think there's very few people actually out there, very few people who really do have that really individualistic approach to things. Um, and the right exploits it. And and we need to get back to understanding why we look out for each other and why government plays this important role, right? But uh, to do that, we're going to have to, again, we're going to have to inspire them. Yeah. So we, uh, we're we concluding here with Marit Stiles. It's been so much fun. Thank you for your questions out there in listener land. Keep them coming. And of course, you know, it's never too soon to donate to the station, 35 years young. Uh, and uh, of course, who are you listening to? It's the Radical Reference Show. Uh, Marit, what's, what are the steps left to, uh, to the leadership contest ending and us uh, crowning you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> what's, what's between now and then? What's happening? Well, uh, well, first of all, uh, the nomination. So somebody else could enter the race for sure uh, before uh, December. Uh, you have to sign up as a member uh, in before the first week of January in order to, to a member of the NDP, uh, in order to vote. And the uh, actual vote will take place in March. So there's quite a bit of time left. But, you know, I really encourage people, the most important step is always sign up and be a member. And if you look at what happened with the conservative leadership race federally, you know, we don't we don't want them to get away with that, right? We need to show that we on the left, progressives, uh, can come together, can push back, can can get some excitement going, and can mobilize to uh, organize and get Doug Ford out in 2026. And this is the first step. This is it. So I, I just encourage people again. Uh, you can go to my website. Uh, you can go to the NDP website. Sign a membership. That's critical. And it's a wrap. The first live show of Radical Reverend in a new series, of course, going forward. So love to hear from you. Always send us a note. And until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Don't nobody know my trouble but God.